Books can take us around the world. They can take us to the intimate spaces of human experiences, and they can help us grow through their words. Stay tuned for People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz. You are my People of the Book, and I hope you all keeping warm, and I hope you are all dodging your load shedding schedules. Uh, here we have just been shifted to stage four. So uh, I know that's messed up my Shabbat cooking schedule. I don't know what that's done to yours. A uh, quick plot change in my home. So I hope you're all managing. So funny story about today's show and the theme and topic for what today's show is about. Not a pleasant topic, unfortunately. What I'm talking about today is global human migration probably better known as refugees and the world today is currently seeing a refugee crisis like nothing before and a couple of months ago I was approached to facilitate a book discussion on the global human migration crisis. Uh, fate intervened and it didn't happen when it was supposed to. I had not yet started researching the topic and um, then people were traveling, I was traveling, and I arrived back home from a trip, and lo and behold, a book had arrived among the many book deliveries that do arrive at my house, and among those deliveries was a book called My Fourth Time We Drowned. I mean, I don't know if you believe in synchronicity, coincidence, whatever you want to call it, but this book had arrived, uh, My Fourth Time We Drowned, by Sally Hayden. And Sally Hayden, if you do not know, is an award-winning journalist and photographer. She currently works as the Africa correspondent for the Irish Times. She has won the Foreign Correspondent of the Year Award at the Irish Journalism Awards twice. And in 2019, she was included on the Forbes 30 Under 30 Media Figures in Europe list. So what this book is about, I would say this is probably the most definitive book on the refugee crisis that has been published this year. Uh, its tagline is Seeking Refuge on the World's Deadliest Migration Route. And how this book came to be... She received a message out of the blue one day. Um, I'm just checking to see when that was. It was on Sunday, the 26th of August, 2018. She was casually living her life, scrolling through Netflix, and she received a Facebook message that said, Hi, Sister Sally, we need your help. We are under bad condition in Libya prison. If you have time, I will tell you all the story. And that didn't make sense to her because she thought someone miles away, how did they find her name? How did they have a working phone if they were locked up? And she was quite skeptical and she quickly replied because she was interested to see what would happen next. And she replied and said, I'm sorry to hear that. And yes, of course I have time, but unfortunately I can't do much to help. And they did exchange WhatsApp numbers and the sender explained that his brother knew her journalism from Sudan and they had traced her contact details online and the story unfolded and she started to do research and the result is this book. It starts with a timeline 
of important events and relevant statistics, starting in 2011 and ending in 2021, October 2021. The important thing, the interesting thing that I found in this timeline is that COVID is not mentioned. COVID does not come into play when it comes to refugees and their need to escape. And we'll take a short break and then I will let you know what a refugee actually is. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. So before the break, I was telling you about refugees, the refugee crisis, global human migration, and this discussion I was invited to facilitate, which actually did happen this week eventually, and Sally Hayden's book, My Fourth Time We Drown, which, as I said, is probably the most definitive book on the subject of the refugee, current refugee crisis. So I think first we need to understand what actually is a refugee. And there are various definitions and categories of what a refugee is. And for the first time in mid-2021, the United Nations High Commission for Refugees, the UNHCR, estimated that there are approximately 84 million I don't even think we can compute what that number is, forcibly displaced people in the world. And of those, there are 26.6 million, or there were 26.6 million, who had official refugee status. Obviously, since then, mid-2021, with the war in Ukraine having happened, that number has, has vastly in increased, I'm sure. So... As I said, four categories, uh, five categories of different categories of refugees. There are migrants. A migrant is someone who voluntarily chooses to leave his or her country and make a new life in another country. A refugee having to, to actually get refugee status is a person who's fled their country and they can't return uh, for fear of persecution and they're given refugee status. And refugee status is given to applicants by the UN or a third-party country. And according to the UN, they have defined what a refugee is. And a refugee is a person who is outside their own country. They have a well-founded fear of persecution due to their race or religion, nationality, or because they're a member of a particular social group or they have a certain political opinion and they're unable or unwilling to return. Then there are asylum seekers. An asylum seeker is someone who has fled their own country for fear again of persecution, but they've applied for legal and physical protection in another country, but they've not yet had that uh, claim for protection assessed. And they remain classified as an asylum seeker until that protection status has been determined. Then there is something known as an internally displaced person, an IDP. And that is someone who's living inside the borders of their own country, um, often on the border in deplorable conditions in, in camps, but they're unable to safely live in their own home or their own region. And finally, there's something known as a stateless person. It's someone who doesn't have a nationality recognised by any country. And they, these people have great difficulty crossing borders legally. 
they're often marginalised and they don't have equal access to healthcare or opportunities in work and education. Um, examples of that would be the, the Rohingya people in Ma Myanmar or the Baharis in Bangladesh. So these are the different classifications of refugees. And obviously there is a lot written about them. I'm not, I'm, I'm not involved in politics. I don't tend to pay a lot of attention to it. I don't understand a lot of it, and I'm not claiming to do that. So I'm not coming at you from a political perspective. What I'm going to discuss here is obviously books about refugees. And a lot of the books I'm going to discuss are nonfiction books. They are written, a lot of them, with... They, they will come across as novels, but they are. They're stories. They're people's stories. And just to give you some background on, and I know I'm carrying on about this book, My Fourth Time We Drowned, but just to give you some background on it, when she started doing her research, she discovered that the Western world has turned its back on migrants and it leaves them to cope with a devastating hum humanitarian crisis. And when I started going through this book, I mean, we don't really understand what a lot of what these people go through. We see pe um, video footage on, on TV, we, we watch the news, we see people being washed up on beaches, in boats, and there's brutality and there's slave labor, there is trafficking, there's so much that that is involved in this. So Sally Hayden herself was approached for suggestions of books that she would suggest if people are, are looking to read books about refugees and human migration, what books would she suggest? So firstly, here are some books that Sally Hayden herself would suggest if you're looking to read books about human migration and the refugee crisis itself. So the first book is called The Pianist from Syria by Iham Ahmad. And this is a war memoir by a pianist who grew up as a Palestinian refugee in the Syrian refugee camp of Yamuk. Um, and it's horrifying and it's haunting because it's written quite beautifully. And he became famous around the world when a video of him playing the piano in the middle of, of a heap of rubble after his besieged camp was bombed by the Syri Syrian re regime was posted on social media. And despite the outpouring of sympathy and support he received, his efforts to use music to transcend language and call for help still landed up with him fleeing home and having to start his new life in Europe. And he details his early musical education, which was already harder for him as a second-generation refugee and the role it played for him throughout his struggles. And he says, um, and I'm quoting from the book here, I'm a pianist, not a political activist. My revolution is music. My language is music. Music was going to be my form of protest, even if no one heard me. And, I mean, this sounds like an incredibly moving account of, of um, Aham Ahmad. It's called The Pianist from Syria. And the next book that she suggests, I mean, this, she, she suggested quite a, a list of books. I've just selected a handful. Is The Optician of Lampedusa by Emma Jane Kirby. 
And this is an account of, in 2013, at least 368 people died in a shipwreck that shocked the Italian government into briefly launching a massive search and rescue mission to patrol for other boats that were making similar journeys. And this book retells what happened from the perspective of the Italians who witnessed that incident, particularly from the perspective of someone by the name of Carmen Mena, an optician who worked on the southern island of Lampedusa, the closest point to Africa in Italy, and Mena was on a boating holiday with friends when they came across dozens of people drowning in the water. Can you just imagine? They did what they could to rescue as many people as possible, but they could not save everyone. And the author, Emma Jane Kirby, decided to focus on the stories of ordinary Italians and their response to what was happening on their southern shores. You're listening to People of the Book, and today we are discussing global human migration. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I'm Janice Leibovitz and you're listening to People of the Book. And today I am chatting about books relating to global human migration. And as I said earlier, I think the world is witnessing the hugest, most disastrous refugee crisis that we have ever seen before. And currently I am chatting about books suggested by Sally Hayden, who, as I said, has written, I think, probably the most definitive book on the current refugee crisis, My Fourth Time We Drowned. And the next book that I'm chatting about is called Migrant Refugee Smuggler Saviour by Peter Tinty and Tuesday Retano. Human smuggling is a multi-billion dollar industry, and this non-fiction book offers a measured and detailed examination of the smugglers who work along the migration routes to, towards Europe. Both authors have done extensive research from many different countries across Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. While the situation has shifted from when this was published, this book remains a must-read for anyone who wants to understand how people's smuggling and trafficking works, how hardening migration policy affects that, and how human smugglers fit into international criminal networks. And I think that is the, the main point, the main word in the sentence. It's a network. Um, nothing works in isolation. It's all part of, of syndicates, networks. Nothing works on its own. And they are all part of, 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 of a huge network. So I think that, that in order to understand something like this, um, possibly a book like this would be quite informative. And um, it does say that, that things have changed and things have, have evolved um, since it was published. But if one wants to understand what is involved, because as I said, it's not just you know what we see on the news, not just people washing up in boats and people trying to escape. I mean, people leave because they are forced to. No one wants to leave their home. And when they do get on those boats and when they, they leave, they don't actually, they hope that they're leaving for something better. But the truth is they don't know what they are going to encounter. They don't know what they, they're going to. So this would be quite informative. It's called Migrant, Refugee, Smuggler, Saviour by Peter Tinty and Tuesday Retano. And the next book 
is a book called By the Sea by Abdul Razak Gurna. He is um, he was a Nobel laureate in 2021, and he looks at the shared history of two men who have fled their African homeland and are finally trying to make peace with their past. And uh, the narrator of the book is a refugee from Zanzibar. He's a former antique furniture salesman, and he claims asylum in a British airport while pretending not to speak English. He went from living by a warm green ocean to the half-life of a stranger in a place where people's strangeness disarms him. He says, they jeer at me. I think they do, he says. But then he encounters a man, another Zanzibari, who accuses him of stealing property and identity theft. As their backstory is revealed, Gurna lays bare the alienation felt by those in exile and the psychological burdens that refugees carry when their lives are torn apart in the country they know best. And I think that's something else. When we think of refugees, I, I don't think we often consider the alienation and the they, they feel lost, I think. And I, I think we need to consider that. They are literally at sea. And I'm, I mean, that's, that's not a pun I use loosely. They, they are left and, and there's a sense of complete alienation. And I think we look at them and people look, they are, they are looked down on. And these are people who, as I say, are forced into the situation that they're in. Nobody wants to, to leave home. They leave hoping for something better, but they don't know what is out there. They don't know what they're going to, to find on the other side. Um, so those were the Sally Hayden suggestions. Moving on, here are some more suggestions. And when, if, if you do a Google search, I mean, the lists are just endless. To make a selection of these books, I, I, I sifted through quite carefully. So I hope there, there's quite a, a wide um, range here that, that will appeal. I mean, um, they're quite horrific. I mean, as, as, as there's a description here that says stories of hell and hope, books that explore refugee crisis and migration. I mean, people would, would seek out books like this if they were doing research or just out of pure interest. I mean, these are not enjoyable, particular, they're not lighthearted. I mean, no one would describe them as lighthearted. But there's a vast range of, of different books that, that are here. Um, here's a book called... Butterfly. This I found quite interesting. Uh, the author's name is Yustra Mardini. I had never heard of her, but her story is quite interesting. She fled na her native Syria to the Turkish coast in 2015 and boarded a small dinghy full of refugees headed for Greece. And on the journey, the boat's engine cut out and started. the boat started to sink. She was 17 at the time. And uh, her sister and two others took to the water to push the overcrowded boat for three and a half hours in open water. And eventually they managed to land on, on Lesbos, the island of Lesbos, the Greek island, with Yusra and the others having saved the lives of all the people on board. And this book, Butterfly, is Yusra Mardini's journey from war-torn Damascus to Berlin and from there to the 2016 Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games 
as a swimmer competing in the 100-meter butterfly. Uh, she is now currently the UNHCR Goodwill Ambassador, and she's one of People Magazine's 25 Women Changing the World. This book tells her incredible story of resilience and unstoppable spirit. I haven't read this, but I would definitely look for this book, and her story sounds incredible. Another book, now this one was interesting because I actually found this on my bookshelf. I had been sent this book, so this was quite interesting. A very different perspective. It's a book called How to Be a Refugee by Simon May. And he describes it as one family story of exile and belonging. He was born in the UK to German parents who raised him as a Catholic and the actual blurb of the book says he was brought up and he was he was raised specifically to be a Catholic. He was not allowed to identify as British or as German, but only as Catholic. I'm not sure how that works. But anyway, and he knew that something about him was quite different to his peers. And in this book, he seeks the truth behind who he and his family really are. It's a deeply personal examination of the experience of German Jews living in Hitler's Germany. And it's the story of how three women, his mother and his two aunts, denied and hid their Jewish heritage in order to survive. From converting to Catholicism, to marrying into the German aristocracy, and entering into an engagement with a card-carrying Nazi, this is a side of the Jewish refugee experience rarely discussed. And this is how his mother and his two aunts, each of them chose something different in order to survive. One converted to, to Catholicism, one married into the German aristocracy, and the other one got engaged. It doesn't say that she married him, but she got engaged to a card-carrying Nazi, an official Nazi, in order to survive the Holocaust and World War II. And this is his story of, of how, of, of his family's background and his heritage. So that's a very different take on, on as he says, the, the Jewish refugee experience. Because, you know, talking about being strangers in a strange land, how we left, how we survived, those who did, those who didn't, this one's very different. And he always knew, you know, he, he being told you are Catholic with no other identifying background information, not allowed to, to call himself German or not allowed to say he's of German descent, not allowed to call himself British, only Catholic. So that, that's very interesting. Um, the next one, and someone who was at this book discussion that I was facilitating highly recommended this book. It's called The Book Collectors of Daraya, and it's by Delphine Minui. Uh, in 2012, besieged by Syrian government forces after four years of shelling bombs and chemical gas attacks, the rebel suburb of Daraya in Damascus was left in ruins. But in this most hopeless of places, incredible acts of bravery and passion were playing out. In The Book Collectors of Daraya, Award-winning French journalist Delphine Minoui, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, shares the story of 40 young Syrian revolutionaries and their extraordinary quest to save their town's books and the hope they created in their community through the power of literature. And as I say, 
someone who was in this book group, she positively raved about this book. She just thought it was absolutely incredible. And she she could not, she didn't have enough positive stuff to say about this. She just, she she kept saying, every, I, th- I think every time there was a pause in the conversation, she kept saying, oh, the book collectors of Durai was a fantastic book. And I, th- I think so. That's why I'm recommending it here, because she just said it was amazing. Um, a book also that I think many people must have heard of. I haven't actually read it, but I know it's highly, highly recommended. And she is quite a well-known author. And I'm just checking to see here. I don't think she's won awards, but I know that this book was shortlisted for the 2014 Bailey's Women's Prize for Fiction, and it's Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. She wrote uh, Half of a Yellow Sun. I know that was also a bestseller and extremely popular. And this is Americana, a love story. It begins in Nigeria and then extends out into America and the UK. And the lovers in the story are divided by military rule in their home country, but reunited back there 15 years on. And it's a powerful story of love, race, and identity. Again, once again, identity, where you belong. You may travel far, you may land up in different countries, but when you return, that is your place of belonging. That is the place where you feel most at home. You may make your home elsewhere But when you return, that is your place of belonging. So that's Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Red Dust Road by Jackie Kay is about a little girl who is adopted. Uh, She realizes when she's very young, she realizes, it's quite blatantly obvious, that her skin is a different color from that of her parents. And as much as she adores her mom and dad, she traces and she wants to trace and find her her birth parents, her Highland mother and Nigerian father. And this is her journey, Red Dust Road by Jackie Kay. It's uh, got lots of unexpected twists and turns. It's deeply, deeply emotional. And Jackie Kay is actually a poet. And she takes a trip to Nigeria searching for her birth father. And she, it's, it's a warm story. She keeps it unsentimental and she, she journeys into nature. And, and it's also, it's about identity. It's growing up in a place where you know that you are different. Different even from your parents because you look completely different. And as warm and welcoming as your home is, and literally your home, the, place, the, the home, the house where you live, and the people who, who are your parents, you still want to know where you come from and where you fit. And she goes off in search of, of her birth father. That's Red Dust Road by Jackie Kay. Another book that was highly recommended uh, the other day in this book group, and I think it's also quite well known and quite widely read was The Girl Who Smiled Beads the story, A Story of War and What Comes After it's by Clementine Wamaria and Elizabeth Wheel and it's a riveting story of dislocation survival and the power of the imagination to save us 
And Clementine Wamaria, who co-authored this book, she was six years old when her mother and father began to speak in whispers. Neighbours began to disappear. And she heard the loud, ugly sounds that her brother said was thunder. And it was 1994, and in 100 days, more than 800,000 people would be murdered in Rwanda and millions more displaced. Clementine and her 15-year-old sister Claire ran and spent the next six years wandering through seven African countries searching for safety, hiding under beds, foraging for food, surviving and fleeing refugee camps, finding unexpected kindness, witnessing unimaginable cruelty. They did not know whether their parents were alive. At age 12, Clementine, along with Claire, was granted asylum in the United States and a chance to build a new life. Chicago was disorienting, filled with neon lights, antiseptic smells, endless concrete. Clementine spoke five languages but almost no English and had barely gone to school. Many people wanted to help. A family in the North Shore suburbs invited her to live with them as their daughter. Others saw her only as broken. They thought she needed and wanted to be saved. Meanwhile, Claire, who had for so long protected and provided for Clementine, found herself on a very different path, cleaning hotel rooms to support her three children. Raw, urgent, but disarmingly beautiful, the girl who smiled beads captures the true costs and aftershocks of war, what is forever lost, what can be repaired, the fragility and importance of memory, the faith that one can learn again to love oneself, even with deep scars. This is The Girl Who Smiled Beads, a story of war and what comes after by Clementine Wamaria and Elizabeth Will. And um, I don't know if this is a shameless plug, but if you want to find out more about what happened in Rwanda, between the Hutus and the Tutsis, I suggest that you visit the Johannesburg Holocaust and Genocide Center because they have an incredible, incredible um, permanent exhibition and you can learn a lot there. It's a center of education and memory and I really suggest you go and visit and there is a lot that you can learn. Even if you think you know what happened, there is a lot that you can go and witness there firsthand. This is People of the Book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm Janice Liebowitz and you're listening to People of the Book. Today I'm talking about books that relate to global human migration. And as I said earlier, we are witnessing the worst refugee crisis ever seen in the world today uh, and as with most things so many books written about it uh, fiction non-fiction more non-fiction I think than fiction um, and as with most things uh, and with subjects like this even the fiction so much of it is rooted in fact that I think you have to wade through the fiction to find the fact you know the facts are, are bare. The, the bare facts, are, they're all there. And you, you realise that 
the fiction is very, very thin because one cannot escape the fact that you're writing about something that is so raw and so real. And I think it has to be handled very, very empathetically, very sensitively and very carefully. So in my research and in all the, the my quest to find the right kind of books for the discussion that I facilitated the other day, this didn't come up when I was running this talk, but it's perfect to talk about here. I found a book called Enrique's Journey, and I think a lot of the focus when we think about refugees, we think about crisis, we focus on the Middle East, we focus on Europe, and I discovered this book, Enrique's Journey. It's by Sonia Nazario. I think it was actually written a few years ago. I think it was, um, if I'm not wrong, I think it's from 2007, actually, which was quite some time back. And it's a true story from an award-winning journalist, Sonia Nazario, and she recounted this odyssey of a Honduran boy. So quite different from what I think immediately tends to come to mind these days when we think of, of refugees and we think of, of traveling people for be, being forcibly removed from homes and choosing to leave their home for, for fear of persecution. And this is about this Honduran boy, Enrique, who braves unimaginable hardship and peril to reach his mother in the United States. When he's five years old, his mother, Lourdes, Lourdes, Lourdes she's too poor to feed her children and she leaves Honduras to work in the United States. And this move allows her to send money back home to Enrique so that he can eat better and go to school past the third grade. And she promises Enrique that she will return quickly as mothers do to their children or for their children. I don't know whether that uh, is to humor the children or to comfort themselves more. But um, I don't know whether it's, it's the assumption that children have no concept of passing time. But she tells him she's coming back quickly and she's coming back soon. And she struggles in America and the years pass. And Enrique begs for his mother to come back. And without her, he becomes lonely and troubled. And when she calls him, she tells him to be patient but he starts to despair of ever seeing her again. And after 11 years apart, he decides he's going to find her. So if she leaves when he's five years old, 11 years apart, by now he's 16, and he decides he's going to find her. And he sets off alone with nothing, like little more than a slip of paper that has his mother's phone number in North Carolina. And he has virtually no money but he decides he's going to make this dangerous and illegal trek up the length of Mexico, the only way he can, clinging to the sides and tops of freight trains. With gritty determination and a deep, deep longing to be by his mother's side, Enrique travels through hostile, unknown worlds. Each step of the way through Mexico, he and other migrants, many of them just children, are hunted like animals. Gangsters control the tops of the trains. Bandits rob and kill migrants up and down the tracks. 
Corrupt cops all along the route are out to fleece and deport them. And to evade the Mexican police and immigration authorities, they must jump onto and off the moving boxcars they call El Tren de la Muerta, the train of death. Enrique pushes forward using his wit, courage and hope, and the kindness of strangers. It's an epic journey, one that thousands of immigrant children make each year to find their mothers in the United States. This is based on the, the Los Angeles Times newspaper series that won two Pulitzer Prizes, one for feature writing and another for feature photography. Enrique's journey is the timeless story of families torn apart and their yearning to be together again, and a boy who will risk his life to find the mother that he loves. To me, this just sounds like the most, firstly, the most incredible story, but also the most incredible, incredible journey. But, it's, I mean, it's got everything. Talking about these these bandits who will stop at nothing, I mean, to to rob and kill these migrants who have nothing, you know, to, it's just, it's the, the, the worst kind of treachery. You know, all these people want is, and these are children looking to find their mothers, and yet there are still these, I mean, dare I say, bottom feeders who are out to just do the worst. I mean, these kids have, have only known the worst that life has to offer them but there are still people out to do even worse to them. I mean, have you, have you, can you even imagine gangsters controlling the tops of the trains that these people have to jump between to, in order to, to travel to where they want to go? I mean, it's, it's unimaginable. But as, as I said here, it's, this is a Pulitzer Prize winning story and this is something that, that is, is worth looking for. It's Enrique's Journey by Sonia Nazaro. You're listening to People of the Book, and I've been talking today about global human migration. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. This is People of the Book, and today I've been talking about the refugee crisis, and books that have related to refugees, global human migration, and the fact that even though I'm not generally related to politics in any way, I don't try and watch the news much. Um, it's all, Generally, it's only bad news, really, isn't it? But one needs to be aware, and one does need to know what is going on in the world. Unfortunately, a lot of it is negative. One needs to keep our ears and eyes open. We need to do the research. We need to research it for ourselves so that we know what is happening in the world. I tend to do that by finding out what books are available out there relating to the topics that are relevant and current. And there are always books that are being written about what is happening globally. And we need to use our own initiative, our own, our own brains, our own minds to know what is relevant to us, what is real, what is, we, we need to wade through the hype 
we need to wade through all the social media nonsense. Sorry, and I work in social media, so I get to say that. So <laughs> we need to know what's real, what's not, what's fake news. And we need to learn how to do that. We need to train our minds and we need to train ourselves. So today, I hope I brought you a, a quite a wide selection of books. But now I'm going to move on to something completely different. Um, as we know, we've taken off our masks. Obviously, if you still feel comfortable wearing a mask and safer wearing a mask, please go ahead and do so. Don't let anyone look at you funny. Well, they can look at you funny, but who cares? Don't let anyone talk you out of doing that. If you still feel that you want to wear a mask, go ahead and do that. But the best news that came out of, well, it wasn't even an announcement, was it? It was very quiet, very surreptitiously done under the radar late Wednesday night that masks were no longer going to be worn, all restrictions on gatherings were going to fall away. I, I don't know, I found that all... Anyway, that was, that's just my opinion. Very strange that it was just done under the radar. I don't know whether that was meant to uh, detract our attention from something else that's going on, but whatever. So the best news that came from that was that the restrictions on gatherings fell away. And I work very closely with the theatre industry, and for us, that was the best news that we had heard in a very, very long time, that we did not have to any longer work at 50% capacity in our theatres. We could now go back to 100% capacity because our theatres have been struggling along. I think our industry was the hardest hit out of most industries. We just never understood why restaurants could run at full capacity, planes could fly at full capacity, but a theatre had to still operate at 50% capacity. We just never understood that. So now I'm just going to ask you, please support our local theatre. There is so much to go and see. Just quickly, what's available? Locked Upside Down is showing at the Santon Theatre on the Square until 9th of July. Shirley Valentine is on at Peter Turin's Monte Cassino Theatre until the 3rd of July. Jonathan Rocksmith, Back in Lights, will be on at Peter Turin's Monte Cassino Theatre from the 6th to the 24th of July. La Traviata Ballet will be on at the Joburg Theatre from the 1st to the 10th of July. And Jungle Book Kids is on at the People's Theatre at Joburg Theatre. Take your children, it's on until the 18th of July. So, without further ado, if you want to wear a mask, go ahead. If you don't, brilliant, you don't have to. But until next time, just stay warm and read a book. <laughs>